So I was like, I might as well just tell you all about my night and warm up my voice. Yeah. Hey there. Welcome to another episode of the Main Dish Podcast. I'm Miley. And Mandy. And we are ecstatic that you are with us this week. Thanks for coming back and or thanks for joining us. Yes, welcome. What's new and good with you, Mandy? Well, it was my birthday week. Uh-huh. And there was a lot of partying. Yeah. How to uh, tell me all about it. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> you I were think there. I was there for most of it, for I most think. Of yeah. It. So tell 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 uh, tell our listeners. It was so much fun. We just we went out like a bunch of times. Mm-hmm. Okay, twice. But <laughs> but it felt like a bunch of times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cuz I mean, I haven't gone out in like a million years. Yeah. You know? Like a year and a half. Like I haven't gone out to bars. Mm-hmm. I haven't been out till closing. Or past clothes. <laughs> yeah, like I haven't stayed out late in so long. Mm-hmm. Um, it was actually, I mean, Thursday was my birthday and we went out. Yeah. Um, um, happy hour. Yeah, we have happy hour at the Coronado Cafe. Yes, people might remember Liz from a former episode, one of the owners of the Coronado. Mm-hmm. We went to their new spot, had a happy hour food and drinks. Yeah, Red bean casserole. While. Quesadilla. Uh, quesadilla. That's what casserole. Whoopsie <laughs> daisy. I don't really don't know my food. And then uh, broccoli. No, not broccoli. Fried cauliflower. Guac. Oh, man. I don't you know. You had cauliflower? Oh, you had no, cauliflower no, tacos? No, people had cauliflower tacos. Oh, yeah. I was observing. Okay. And uh, <laughs> I observed the cauliflower. <laughs> and the potato tacos. The, the fried guacamole with the um, the French fries were my favorite. It was a bomb on the French fries. Mm-hmm. I think I'll, I saw that hack. Somebody had ordered that that way on like Instagram. And I was like, that's. Yes the way we're doing this yes please it's my birthday i need a french fry yeah i was gonna order a second order because it's so good <laughs> yeah you should have yeah and then after Next that time. and then after that yeah we hung out there for a while and then um where did we go a couple of us went to oh so i or think was so the second place did you go somewhere else between no, Coronado think, Cafe no, and Oso? We went straight to Oso. Oso. Okay. yeah we went straight to Oso. had a drink or two and then over to little woody mm-hmm. had a couple more drinks oh yeah talked that to some was random. you met us at back at the little um, woody. yeah i had to leave for a couple hours and yeah. then came back and met you guys up at the little little woody it was super fun it was a lot I of really fun liked it. uh talked to a couple random dudes mm-hmm. it was fun though like i think i mean coronavirus i want to be sensitive to how everybody is individually handling going back out into yes. society and re-entry and like uh, at the beginning of it, the idea of it makes me a little anxious. But then, like, when you're out in it, like, it really wasn't. It didn't no. feel that crowded. And, like, it didn't feel unsafe. It didn't. Yeah. I don't know. There it were, like, okay. people out. But it wasn't, like, I don't know. It wasn't, like, a sporting event or a concert yeah. where you're, like, elbow to elbow with people. So, I don't know. It felt It was okay. It was nice. Good. Yeah. It was a good. It's a good. It was a good experience for the transition phase that we are in right now. Yeah. I agree. Um, so that was fun. We like, you and I were out pretty late that night. Yeah, like 2.30 and then I had to go to work at 7. I called an Uber just after 1. We had to be home by 2. What did I say? 2.30? Yeah. I was in, I was asleep by 2.30. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and then, uh, Saturday night went out and watched the Suns game. Cause I decided I was like, I, I really want to go out and watch the Suns. Cause the Suns were home game mm-hmm. five of the finals. They lost. It was really upsetting. Fuck. Uh, but we had fun. We met up with a whole bunch of friends. Um, that was super fun. Had drinks and I'm glad that that place wasn't too crowded either. So that was really cool. I like that. That was awesome. Yeah. It was just like it was 
there was people. Yeah. But it wasn't like crowded. I mean, there it's probably awesome. was only like 35 people yeah. in the mm-hmm, whole bar. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It was super nice to be somewhere that was showing the game. It mm-hmm. wasn't crowded. I didn't have to wait for a drink. And good sound system too because I could hear everything too. You could hear the announcers. You could see everything. Like you didn't have to wait for a drink, which makes me excited. You go out for yeah. a game and you're A, not overpaying mm-hmm. and B, not having to stand in line like three people deep for beers. Um, and then we went over to Green Bo- Greenwood Brewing and celebrated their little anniversary bash. I had Flavors Vegan Food Truck mm. for the first time. Be- Honestly, some of the best vegan nachos I've ever had. So good. Everybody should go get some. I need to talk to those people. <laughs> um, and then, uh, yeah, then we just kind of proceeded to stomp around Old Town a little bit. Met up with some more friends and uh, Shereen's man and uh, drinks, drinks, drinks. 2 a.m. back here swimming in the pool at the condo with some strangers. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, playing Nintendo in the middle of the night. <laughs> yeah, it sounded like an awesome night for it you. It was really a lot of fun. Oh, I'm yeah. so happy for you. That Thank makes you. me. That makes Thank me. you for being a part of it. Oh, I'm so grateful that i could be a part of it i know you were around like the whole weekend i always feel like everybody's such a trooper like this isn't like our normal thing anymore like so it's kind of i don't know not awkward but like you're still trying to feel things out to try to figure it out yeah kind of like how much what do i do where what (laughs) and it's just like i don't know not only that but just like you're not like a party machine you know what i mean like you're not one to like go out and get shitty at the bars I mean, I could. Yes, I just you have I try before. to be responsible. It's just something that happens. A lot of like I, can't, I have not found a balance because when I do go out, it just goes completely the other direction. Like I go too far <laughs> off the rails. <laughs> it's like I'm like prim and proper, or like off the rails. <laughs> like I have not found a balance. <laughs> You're like this with other things. Didn't we just I, discover I this with much, something else? Yeah. Oh, it was, it was TV shows we so, talked well, about. Yeah, like I just it's either like no TV or like binge for forty eight like, hours. I don't straight. watch TV. No I sleep, just watched no eight eating. hours of television. <laughs> exactly like i i like fully extreme like polar just it's really i i can't seem to find a balance this is like other you're like this with work a lot of you're things, like yeah. intensely there, with work or yeah. then you'll take like 48 hours and do literal nothing, nothing. <laughs> i don't know I'm, i don't know what's wrong with me she's like i'm not just hiking camelback for 30 <laughs> minutes i'm gonna go on a seven hour hike that is oh my god you're so right <laughs> that's exactly what it, i mean like all in or nothing but it's like all. i'll probably never like there's no point in me doing this like a little bit yeah. i might as well it's, just go yeah. nuts it's either all in or nothing like, yeah she's like let me just learn to fly. i'm not just gonna go take one flight lesson i'm gonna go ahead and get my license <laughs> exactly <laughs> there's no just a little bit for me she's like i'm gonna get this scuba certification i think i'll buy a scuba suit i'm like Exactly. <laughs> Actually, that's my new and good. Our listeners don't know that I've started scuba lessons. Oh, how exciting. So, yeah. I didn't know people didn't know that yet. Yeah, I haven't. I haven't. Okay. I mean, like, it if they've been following new. us on Instagram, they probably have. have seen that yet. But I have not officially announced it okay. on our, our um, episode or podcast. But I am in the middle Yay. of scuba lessons. And I have to take extra lessons. <laughs> I was like, how many lessons is it? Because I thought it was going to so, be like two and done or something. It's, it's four and done. Four. Okay. It's four and done. Except it's you. Two days. In you the, get bonus. <laughs> yeah. Two days in the pool and then two days in the lake. And by then you should be certified. I'm on lesson one, two, three, four. I think I'm going on my lesson five right now. Okay. <laughs> and then I still haven't done my lake days yet. So that's at least two more lessons. <laughs> so you you're know, on five in the pool. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm, I love learning. But I definitely create my own path. Okay. And I definitely take my time and 
and I try not to rush myself and I try really hard to make sure I fully understand what I'm doing. Yep. I mean, mm-hmm. scuba can be dangerous. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So good. Yeah. Like you should. Like, I'm not a fan. The idea of being trapped underwater oh. with all this equipment oh my I mean, is not exciting at all. It's so much fun. Like, it is so cool to breathe underwater. I feel like when I was a little kid and I was playing in the pool and I would go to the bottom of the floor and pretend like I was a mermaid, but then I have to go back up. Now I can just be at the bottom of the pool and, and just breathe and be there for like three hours straight and like be a mermaid under the water. <laughs> I'm literally imagining you singing a Little Mermaid song right now. (laughs) But I mean, like, it's so cool to be able to breathe underwater. I I loved it. Yeah. See, so I've dated people in the past who are pretty, like, anytime they went to Hawaii, like, they're pretty into scuba, like, they did it a lot. And I'm just like, I have no desire. And they're like, to be honest, if you don't, if the idea of it doesn't excite you, don't bother. Yeah. And I'm like, you're right. Like, like skiing. (laughs) Yeah. Tried that once. Hated it. So, I was like, yep, I was right about skiing. <laughs> so I haven't tried skiing or snowboarding. Last winter, I did contemplate it. So I think this coming winter, I'm going to take a skiing lesson mm. and a snowboarding lesson and yeah. see which one I like, it's even if to see if I even like either one of them. I hate snow. Yeah. So, and I hate cold. Yeah. So I'm, it depends on my mood. Sometimes I hate the snow, but sometimes I do like the snow. I like to look at it from inside with like a spiked hot cocoa in yeah. my hand. Like, I am all for going on the ski trips. I just don't want to ski. I will literally hang out at the cottage. I'll go like to the little resort and I'll hang out in the lodge or I'll hang out at the cottage and I'll like prepare food so that everyone comes back and we have like a nice big warm dinner and we hang out by the fire and we play games all night and drink wine or whatever. Yeah. That's my like I love going to the setting. I'm great. I just don't want to ski. And I took a lesson, but I don't know. When I was telling everybody about how I learned in the lesson, like I had one successful dismount from the lift. (laughs) All the others were like not super successful. I mean, I didn't like face plant or fall like down the mountain or anything crazy, (laughs) but like it was just rough. And like, thankfully I had somebody experienced with me, but anyways, I love that you're scoop. This is funny. I'm also thinking how funny it is that you're like, Let's do a seven-hour hike of 14,000 foot or whatever, 11,000. Yeah, 14, how high is 14? Okay. Mm-hmm. So they call those 14ers, right? Yep. Mm-hmm. So you're like, let me do a 14,000 foot hike. Let me um, go to the bottom of the ocean. Yeah. I would also like to be a couple miles in the air. <laughs> <laughs> like, just walking around on this land. I know. Why I would I be so basic? <laughs> I know. I'm so. Who was it? Somebody was telling me they're like, you're like a... Uh, a Jane Bond you're gonna fly an airplane (laughs) then you're gonna fall fall out of the airplane and skydive and then jump like fall into the ocean scuba dive this was at my birthday on Thursday I think we said something about this I was like no she's gonna fly the plane turn on the autopilot jump out she has to learn to skydive right because you're like talking about doing one of those she'll like jump out of a plane have her scuba gear strapped on exactly and then like scuba to the destination I don't know yes Fucking crazy. Yes. Hilarious. <laughs> I'm conquer the air, land, and water. I'm like, let me know where you're going, like where the end destination is, and I'll have some food ready for us. <laughs> Lovely. <laughs> you're the best. You'll be the best part of the trip. I was like, I'll get the wine. I'll have the food ready. That's Done. me. <laughs> I love it. Thank you. I'm ready. I'll, I'll plan logistics and stuff. Yeah, yeah. I'll do that. <laughs> I love you. <laughs> so scuba. Anything else? Uh, I had a flight lesson today. Oh, yeah. I think it was the best flight lesson I've ever had. I'm so happy. My instructor was so proud of me. You were rested. Yes. I I know because I bailed on on the Suns game yesterday at like 8 p.m. I was like. We lost. You didn't miss anything. Well, you know. Yeah, I know. I was 
pissed. I mean, we were we were doing so we good got the first quarter. Three. We got within three at the end of the game we with did. like the last minute or oh, so to go. And it was exciting. I was like, oh, okay, now I'm excited. Yeah. And then we fouled them. They hit one of their free throws and then it was a four point spread and we just didn't. We fucking sucked. It was Man. it was a real pisser. You know what I found out? Sorry, not, oh, not yeah, to no, interrupt no, your story. No I found out that Chris Paul and Beyond Meat were giving away Beyond Burgers last night at the corner of First and Jefferson downtown by the arena. But, Wait, but wasn't Chris Paul playing the game? Yeah, I mean, like, he wasn't out there. It was, like, oh, he okay. was sponsoring. <laughs> okay. He and Beyond like, Meat got no, together. Oh, and like I see, I see. Okay. he They sponsored oh, that's Beyond a through, like, a pop-up with a food truck up. Oh. And they were giving away Beyond Burgers. I know. I was like, damn. Mm. Too bad I didn't find that mm. out. Like, I was like, I wish somebody had, like, live tweeted that or yeah. something. Like, put a picture up on the internet. Like, yeah. would have walked over there and got a free burger. Yeah. I don't know. Excuse. I know. I was yeah. like, I would have walked over and got a free burger. I had amazing nachos. Yeah. I actually, you've been back. talking about those nachos. I want some nachos. <laughs> Next time they pop up somewhere, we should go. Oh, oh okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For sure. They're good. Mm-hmm. Super good. Okay. Mm-hmm. So yeah. go back and to telling me about Flying was really, really great today. Exciting. I was calm and relaxed. I haven't, I actually haven't done any studying this past week. So I think I went in kind of like relaxed maybe, or just like I had a big mental break the last few days. This has been so busy at work. I just haven't been focused on, I didn't have any time to focus on any studying for plane stuff. So I went in and I, um, now I just have to work on my left bicep because, uh, my instructor said like all of my procedures are there. I know exactly what I'm doing and my body's just not responding the way I want it to. So I have to do some, I have to work on building my left bicep and my right thigh. Because I'm not pulling, I use my left hand to control the yoke because my right hand has to do other things, um, other controls. Mm-hmm. So then I'm just not pulling on the yoke strong enough. I'm too weak. And then my right, my right foot needs to be heavier on the right pe- uh, rudder or the pedal, the right rudder mm-hmm. to make sure the plane stays coordinated when I maneuver. So gotta, I got to exercise. I got to get back into my CrossFit. You have weights, <laughs> right? I do. I just need to do them. I, I mean, just need to do Jess my reps. Hutchins, Jess Hutchins yeah. fit. Her page yeah. has loads of free workouts. Okay, I'll check I it out. I pull them up all the time. Okay, sweet beans. Mm-hmm. I will do that. She has some really good leg workouts in there. Oh, okay. Um, and I still some... have her fit bands, so oh, I yeah. should probably um, whip those out, yeah. do some stuff. And uh, yeah, so working on that. So flying scuba is all good. That's Work is exciting. good. Spending time with you is lovely. It's been a fun week. Mm-hmm. Been a good time. Yeah. Anything else new with you or good? think so i got asked out a couple of times mm. over the course of the last few nights that was interesting yeah I'm, i look forward to hearing about your dates yeah me too <laughs> someone asked me for my number that's about it the guy <laughs> the guy from- the random <laughs> the guy who then later um yeah googled found it, it googled and like found me and on then sent you screenshots I, oh. of us and our podcast <laughs> yeah. that was funny if you're listening that was he might be <laughs> he did he, i mean he found out the name of our podcast maybe you're listening if it's it's i understand people google people but it's don't tell me you did it <laughs> i don't want to know that you're creeping well maybe they think it's flattering because they spent time to actually like look put you yourself up. in the other side of that equation you know what i mean like I if somebody sent you screenshots of google searching you what's your response well, maybe he did it because he was like, you wouldn't tell me you're the name of your podcast. So I found it myself. I did it myself. Go follow us on Instagram and leave a comment. <laughs> like, I don't know. What to tell ah, you. Hey, he spent, what, 10 minutes trying to find us. I think that that's pretty cool. Thank you for giving us 10 minutes of your time. Now pass the word on and tell people about <laughs> us. 
I'm going to refrain from the rest <laughs> of my rant on this topic. Uh, well, this week's topic will change subjects then. Yes. This, this week's topic. Housing insecurity. Mm-hmm. It'll be with the lovely Irene. Yes, Irene Augustine. Okay, thank you. One of my <laughs> longtime, very good friends. Um, I met Irene a billion years ago, like 2007, okay. when I was pretty new to mm-hmm, Phoenix. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And we've been friends since. I've known her through all, all her nonprofit career. And um, she was right in transition. She's now in Baltimore. She had just landed in Baltimore when we talked to her. And... Um, she had moved across the country from working in uh, the mayor's office in San Francisco in their mm-hmm. housing um, and uh, outreach efforts. And now she's in Baltimore. And she was in San Francisco during the height of COVID. Yeah. So she talked a little bit about just like some of the housing and issues and struggles. Initiatives mm-hmm. that they were trying to get people off the streets. Yeah, and incredible stuff. I mean, all those hotels were empty. Get yeah. people off the streets. Exactly. I personally have friends in the hotel industry who were like out of jobs. Wow. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah good episode, though. Irene's, episode. Irene's really great. She's really good people. Um, she went through breast cancer maybe like five years ago, I think, her diagnosis. Mm-hmm. So, <coughs> sorry. I had to catch. Um, about five years ago was her diagnosis. And um, so just watching her go through that and do it with such like, I mean, she had a really hard time, but she yeah. did it with a lot of grace and kept working. She lost both of her parents, I think, in the last five years. Um, it's just, oh man, yeah, 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 resilience right there. Yeah, I just adore her. She's great. She met up with us in Napa last year when we went to Napa Aww. for my birthday because okay. she was living up there. Yeah. Okay, yeah. yeah, I'm sorry you didn't get to go to Napa this year for your birthday. I mean, you've okay. gone the last few years, so uh, yeah, I went the last two years. This year, um, I don't remember if we talked about this on the podcast. People kept asking me what I was up to for my birthday because they know I tend to go like fucking nuts (laughs) (laughs) and I usually plan a bunch of trips I usually have at least one or two weekends away like last year I went to Michigan for seven or ten days Mm -hmm. then I came home and I went to Napa um like a month later I went to Colorado like yeah yeah so um or was that the year before no that was last year and uh this year I was like I don't know am I planning something I'm not really sure and I kind of sat with it for a while because it back in like I want to say April, May, I was really anxious about wanting to plan something mm-hmm. and kind of like, but it couldn't, nothing was hitting, like mm-hmm. nothing, nothing hit, nothing clicked. And then as it got to be about early to mid June, I was like, this is so weird. How come I'm not planning anything? And I just kind of sat with it and really marinated in it and tried mm-hmm. to figure it out. And I was like, I just don't feel that pull to escape. Mm-hmm. And I think... I think a lot of years often I'm just like, I just got to get out of here. Like I'm just, just anxious to leave. I'm more anxious. It's more about like, just, I want, I love celebrating my birthday, but it's like a great excuse. It's like a great excuse to run, give in to that anxiety Mm -hmm. to just leave my space. But I'm feeling so comfortable in my life right now, maybe more than ever. I think that's just with time that happens but like feeling so comfortable in my life I'm really comfortable in the condo like doing things to it upgrades and I'm just I'm really comfortable where I am and I just didn't feel the need to like leave to run to flee to like escape to some alternate you know place like like, even in some way like a distraction I didn't feel the need to get away yeah from anything and I was like oh that's kind of nice yeah 
anyways so well, but thanks for saying that i just i didn't really feel the pull to go to napa well, i really I'm happy you stayed here thank you when you leave and i don't go with you i'm like oh <laughs> <laughs> i'm like oh <laughs> I, I will say i really want to get to oregon mm-hmm. and do wine tasting that's kind of like next oh oh and i signed up for a wine class yes i was gonna ask you about that tell yeah. us more it starts in a couple weeks that's okay. really all i can say right now is i have officially signed up for my level two wset wine certification and it starts in a couple of weeks i'm so proud um, of you i'm so excited for you i'm really excited my wine should arrive on tuesday Ooh, yeah okay. i have like i think six bottles of wine coming Ooh. um to taste with the course and there's and what like, exactly are you gonna like at the end of this course what skills or knowledge would you have obtained or developed uh that's a great question uh you are so how to read labels on wine yeah. bottles like not just literally reading but understanding <laughs> varietals understanding uh-huh. the regions oh, okay. better to know like how the temperature and the climate and the terroir oh. of the region of will like reading the label to tell you what that wine's going to taste like before you even open it oh okay so like I have some of that knowledge. I have very basic knowledge just from years and years of wine tasting and going to wineries and mm-hmm. drinking a lot of wine and talking to people who do mm-hmm. know wine, but a better understanding yeah. on my own. This is more formal education, right? Yeah. Like, you know, uh, everything is based on like, that you have is based on experience and, right. you know, and now you're going to probably formalize it a little bit and maybe even fill in some holes or gaps that maybe you. Exactly. Okay. Like really kind of solidify yeah. that info in my brain to where it's more a reflex mm-hmm. like I know what wines I enjoy and I can ask for tasting notes from mm-hmm. you know bartenders and servers and stuff but um I yeah I think just I don't know I'm really excited cool beans I'm yeah. excited yeah I'm gonna well, I hope nerd you out for um, wine for another yeah. month cool cool okay Thank well you for asking. yeah we don't have to leave any of that in this episode but <laughs> Well, uh, we hope you enjoy today's episode with Irene. Yes, uh, she has her 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 talk on the things she tells us about housing and helping people. I think is really important. So, please, uh, maybe take some of that with you. Mm-hmm. For sure. Enjoy, friends. Enjoy. Hi, Whoa. Irene. Hi, Irene. Welcome to our podcast. Thank you for spending time with us today. Uh, thank you for having me and uh, bearing with me as I navigate through time zones. Oh, yeah. no, it's it's actually, I feel for you, um, but it was also kind of funny, too. Yeah. I, so, so, no, yeah, no yeah, big people deal. People listening don't know, but we attempted to record with Irene last week as she was moving across the country, but um, time zone miscommunication and misunderstanding just trying to figure out which time zone of south dakota irene was in that day was a challenge so (laughs) but we made it it's only been a couple of days since we first attempted and that's great that's better than some of the other ones that we've had failed first attempts how how was the road trip and you know i'll probably my next question is going to be like why the road trip because it probably will lead into our conversation but how was the road trip like were there any favorite parts of your road trip i've always wanted to do like a cross-country road trip you went from san fran right one coast to the other coast so san fran to baltimore yeah so i i had moved out to the east bay or the bay area a year and a half ago so i started a new job with um san francisco two weeks before shelter in place and so um so basically that's what i did um i did take some road trips around california just because you you can't be locked in your place uh for that long and you know i didn't really know anyone so solo travel was my jam 
Um, and so I did that, got to see a lot of California. And then um, probably about a little over a month ago, um, I uh, applied and interviewed for a position with the city of Baltimore to head up their homeless services um, department. And so uh, I guess the road trip came about because originally I was gonna take two weeks off of work in San Francisco. Um, and I was still wanting to do that, but then uh, Baltimore wanted me to start like yesterday. Mm. And so, um, cause I was trying to, you know, figure out this whole move and, mm -hmm. and I told them, okay, mid January sounds good to me to get, to be settled, to get everything. And they're like, can you start June 1st? <laughs> like, I guess so. So let me figure this out. And so instead of lounging on the beach, I decided to do this road trip and go up to see Yellowstone, oh, um, the Grand Tetons, um, uh, went to Mount Rushmore, but I didn't see anything at Mount Rushmore because it was foggy. So I didn't, oh, oh, <laughs> but you know, get this crazy horse was not foggy here. So I would say if you go up to that part of South Dakota to see Mount Rushmore, like you have to see crazy, crazy horse. Um, and uh, they have a huge collection of um, Native American artwork and um, just uh, different artifacts um, and the story behind the sculptor um, and standing there is just beautiful. Like it was probably, I'm, I'm glad I went because it was a lot more meaningful to me than just going to see Mount Rushmore. Yeah, I could see a bunch of dead white guys carved into the stone, or I could go look at something that was like, I mean, not that they weren't impactful on our nation, uh, but, but I, yeah, I feel like the Native American stuff would be much more meaningful. Um, Irene, you mentioned moving uh, across from San Francisco to Baltimore because you took a job heading up their homeless division for the city of Baltimore. And I, I know, because I know you for a long time, that's what you did in San Francisco. I'd love for you to tell us a little bit more about, you know, and before that you were in St. Louis doing the same thing, correct? Mm -hmm. I'd love for yeah, you to tell so us a little I, bit more. Sure. Um, so my career basically has been in some sort of human service. Um, and I, I would say more recently and recently means like the past 10 years, mm -hmm. um, has been focused on homeless services. Um, my background, I'm a social worker. I have both a bachelor's and master's degree. Um, and I think, um, really what, uh, really had me focused on homeless services is 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 really um more the systems work yeah. of it homelessness is is really a situation it's, it's an experience it doesn't define someone um and for communities um i believe you know it, it is really our responsibility as members of our community uh, to help people that are struggling through that crisis and so that means if someone is struggling with some sort of housing crisis, that we help them to resolve it as quickly as possible so it doesn't become um, something that is long-term or chronic. Um, because we know that um, if someone lives through a crisis for a long, long time, it's harder to get out of it. Um, and so that's I think that's what mostly drew me to working in homeless services. Homelessness is solvable. Um, housing is that solution. 
um, but housing paired with the appropriate services um, to help someone to really rebuild their lives is really what I'm interested in working with uh, various communities on doing. And so that's kind of why uh, I've been to St. Louis, to San Francisco, um, to now Baltimore. Um, I actually started this work in Phoenix, um, working for the largest um, emergency shelter provider um, there. And I and my work there was helping to raise money um, to do that, which I think is definitely a useful skill <laughs> to have um, regardless. And so it, you know, it's taken me on this uh, really um, interesting path. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where I'm at uh, with it right now. Uh, you know, and I'm really excited to work for, to work with Baltimore. Um, and I would say that the public health crisis has, um, has, you know, been very difficult, but also has opened the doors for a lot of opportunity for a lot of communities. Um, and housing is healthcare. Um, and um, I know that the president um, and his cabinet are really working hard to provide the resources to communities um, so that we're able to help those struggling um, through homelessness or their housing crisis. Um, and we can focus on on those things that we all want in our community that that help us to thrive. What took you from, like, what made you apply to Baltimore? I mean, you've been in San Fran for a year and a half, and that seems like a fairly short time for a semi-cross-country move from St. Louis, and now you're going all the way to Baltimore. What what appealed to you about moving into that um, new position? Yeah, just or that, just that side know, of the country. Yeah, or the population there, you know, is there different things or challenges that you saw in Boston versus sure. Baltimore. What did I say? I'm sorry, Baltimore. <laughs> <laughs> um, I would say, you know, so when I decided to move um, to San Francisco, and this is a very personal reason, I, I had gone through a lot. I had left Phoenix to move back to St. Louis because my dad, he, he was sick and he passed away in 2014. Um, and then a year later, I was diagnosed with stage three breast cancer. Um, my mom, we found out her tumor came back. And so we, between, you know, my dad, myself and my mom, we've had a lot going on. Um, and so when I saw the opportunity in San Francisco, um, I was working um, as the director of human services for the city of St. Louis. Um, I was on the mayor's cabinet um, while um, we accomplished a lot in St. Louis at that time. I also knew that between my health and kind of my well-being that I, I wanted to take a step back and focus more on policy. Yeah. Um, and so the opportunity in San Francisco um, really took me out of that appointee position. Um, and I was able to work really on process um, and process improvement, um, well, as much as I could, given that um, I also moved right before a public health crisis. Um, I had an awesome opportunity of also working um, uh, with their COVID response. Um, San Francisco had 
I would say the largest humanitarian effort uh, in terms of opening shelter and place hotels um, for people that were medically vulnerable to COVID-19. Um, I know how hard it is to set up one, maybe two. Um, they set up 25. Wow. Um, and also five isolation and quarantine wow. um, hotels. So it was a massive effort um, undertaken. Yeah. Um, and I was able to experience that um, and uh, really to to get to know other folks um, in the city because I, I think that um, it gave me the opportunity to meet other uh, staff members from other divisions and to really work with the public uh, department of public health um human services agencies on you know really collaboratively um on this effort i was going to ask about how covid sort of impacted since it hit like right when you uh, moved there like how that impacted it long term and i had heard that san francisco had set up hotels like that and then in my head i'm also thinking there were a lot of people that lost jobs lost money and potentially ended up out, you know, in a housing crisis. Yes. And so my position basically was the nexus between those two. So while I was deployed to work on our COVID response, my position was, um, I was the director of problem solving and coordinated entry. Problem solving really focuses on the prevention side of it. Um, and then uh, coordinated entry focuses on the rehousing side of it. Mm -hmm. um, and so I was able to work with um, my team and with the COVID command center and various partners to help create the strategy um, around that. And I would say that the staff that I've left in San Francisco, all are awesome, but also very groundbreaking too. Um, uh, and are doing some pretty um, innovative um, and uh, in trying to set up these systems really quickly um, because that's just how we need to do it um, around um, prevention, um, short-term housing assistance, uh, shared housing, um, some pretty innovative stuff. And, you know, these are all pretty massive kind of undertakings to do even in normal times. <laughs> But um, to do this um, really as the community starts to get back to, you know, and I, I hate to use the word normal because yeah. I don't think we'll ever get back to normal, um, but at least, you know, what the community needs to look like post-COVID, um, you know, I, we, we know what the effects are of the public health crisis is going to be on individuals. And so you really have to look at it both with, okay, how do we rehouse people that are in the shelter and place hotels? And then how do you prevent people that obviously are going through some hard economic times, job loss, medical issues? How do you prevent them from becoming homeless? Um, and so that's kind of, that's, that's really kind of the balance that all communities have to look at. Um, you know, fortunately there is financial support coming from the federal government, but, you know, even with that support, it requires that, um, that we work as communities on, you know, what that balance and what those initiatives look like. It's going to take each and every one of us to really, um, to, to respond, um, best, 
best of this and to, you know, get back on track. Um, and so, you know, as I look at um, my next steps in Baltimore, it, part of it is really getting to know um, Baltimore and the community and all the stakeholders in it, but then also um, working together really quickly to um, get this plan in place. Um, one, looking at how do we respond to what those short-term needs are, and then, you know, position ourselves for longer-term success. And, and that success is really helping the community get down to um, functional zero, meaning that you have a system in place that if someone um, finds themselves experiencing um, a housing crisis, homelessness, that you're able to rapidly resolve the issue um, and make their experience um, with it uh, rare, one time and brief. I have a two-part question. So I don't know much about prevention on the homelessness and housing crisis situation. And then I guess the second part of that or, yeah, the second part of that is sort of like when somebody does find themselves in that situation, how do they find services or how do you find them? Because I'm just, I mean, I guess I'm, I'm pretty fortunate that I don't know much about that. But if you could tell us and our people listening about prevention and then how people come to find you know help in the in their city sure um and it, it really depends on the situation that you're in some people have family mm-hmm. you know and if family's willing to help and to work with you to get through whatever your crisis like honestly that's the best yeah um but we all know that sometimes you know People don't have family or friends that can help. And so that's where they need to um, rely on the community um, for that help. Um, So every community is a little bit different. Um, I would say, though, communities that receive federal funds from HUD um, are required to have what is called a continuum of care. Um, And in that continuum of care, basically, it's a it's a group of stakeholders that are representative of your community. And in that, they create what is the coordinated entry system. Um, so, so typically, if someone's in need of services, they can contact um, their continuum of care. Most local governments are part of the continuum of care. So um, you'll see that, um, I know Phoenix has a homeless services department on um, uh, most cities do um, and they can help connect either to the continuum of care or to the coordinated entry process is that just um, like a google search like phoenix yeah. Home, so yeah like-, like here in phoenix i i mean you probably you definitely know more than me but i i've heard that phoenix has what's called a human services campus where like it was built a while back as a response to the growing homeless population situation that we yeah. had and so that campus has like a food bank and a, a, the reason why I know is because it has a dental clinic and so are we talking about Cass? Um, Cass was uh, I mean Cass was um, Cass was a dental clinic that was on the human services campus okay. that's how I know about yeah but is that what you're talking about is like the human services campus here in Phoenix is part of that cur- continuum yeah but there's other so, entities that could be there's on other, that other entities yes so the human services services campus is one place where someone can go and get assistance but you'd have to know uh, about it to go right like 
Um, or, you know, some people just show up, um, to it. Um, but I would say that, um, you know, it's one area, there's shelter, there is, um, a variety of services, um, you know, that you can get help, but you know, that people that are typically in Phoenix would go to it. Your continuum of care for, for the, the greater metropolitan area is for Maricopa County. Oh. So if you're homeless in Buckeye, you know, there should be a, a system that you can tap tap into in Buckeye versus having to go all the way to Phoenix. Yeah. Same yeah. with Tempe. I imagine so, maybe like if you were in a homeless situation, hopefully you have, you know, somebody who knows a resource that you can go to or you ask a police yeah, officer that was kind of the or you ask was like, how do yeah, you like find you, out? You ask a police officer, you ask other people that are homeless because I also feel because people trust the police. I'm just throwing out <laughs> ideas for answering your question. Yeah, I just is like as a person, like, if I was homeless, I'd be like, I talk to somebody else who is homeless. I'd talk to anybody I could to kind of see what services they're getting. Yeah, and I, I would say, you know, and that's the struggle that I think a lot of communities, and and that's that's why having a coordinated system is important. Mm-hmm. So say someone does find themselves in front of a police officer and they're willing to say, hey, I'm experiencing homelessness. I mean, you don't want the police officer having to call six different organizations. They should be able to be like, oh, I know I know the place where you need to go to to get the help that you need. Um, and I would say that, you know, I, I always, I don't have my PowerPoint and I don't even know which PowerPoint I would share because I don't, <laughs> in between, I start my new job uh, tomorrow. Um, but, you know, the, the reality is, is that um, and this is the way nonprofits work is that you're there because a nonprofit's there to, to provide assistance. You know, they've raised money, they gotten support. However, when those services aren't working in coordination, it's, I call it the spaghetti bowl. Like it's, it's just a hob, hodgepodge of different services that you're just having a hard time directing to. And so, you know, all communities, and while I'm kind of dancing around the best response because every community is a little bit different. Um, and I would say, you know, Phoenix, you're bringing up, you know, a really good real life example of how confusing it can be. Um, but I know that in many different communities, they're, they're trying to figure out how do we make it less messy? You know, how do we say, okay, this person really needs help. How do we direct them as quickly as possible to that right um, service? And, and, that's, and that's what all communities um, are really striving towards is what is that coordinated system? Where is that door that individuals and families can walk into so that, it, so that they get the help they need as quickly as possible? So someone certainly in Phoenix could go to the human services campus um, but the COC out of um, the Phoenix uh, Greater, wait, the Phoenix Greater Metropolitan Area is um, uh, run out of the Metropolitan Association of Governments, hmm. which is basically for um, Maricopa County. So, or I hopefully I said that right, Ma- uh, the Maricopa Association. Of governments but basically it's all the um, different towns created one COC um, and if someone needs help um, they would contact 
you know, mag, depending on where they are in the Phoenix area um, or within Maricopa County to see what services are close to them. What are prevention efforts like? Like, how do you, how do you know someone's about to maybe have a housing crisis? Like, I, I yeah, imagine so like, yeah. things like that could happen really quickly sometimes for people and it kind of sneaks up on them. And then before they know it, in a matter of a couple of months, they might be out of their house or out of a home. And I, I just I'm curious about prevention. Like, what are the yeah. prevention efforts? Well, I mean, so if you sign a lease with the landlord, they can't evict you without um, going through the legal process to do so. So you can't say I'm having a hard time paying and tell your landlord that and then the next day be out. That's illegal. Okay. So um, typically, you know, people kind of find themselves on the brink of eviction when they know they're going to have they're going to have trouble paying the rent. And then depending on the landlord, the landlord could say, well, you're behind on the rent. We're going to begin legal proceedings to evict you. And then it's up to you to kind of identify resources to go get help and to support you from getting homeless. Yeah, I guess this is the point where they would government could intervene and help out if they reached out. Um, Yeah, like so for a lot of. So there's a lot of churches or a lot of nonprofits that will provide rental assistance um, uh, to individuals that maybe need help for a month or a couple of months. Um, however, communities are getting a lot more savvier about that um, and really working towards coordinating those prevention services. So instead of someone having to go to this church one day and this other church another day, they're figuring out, hey, we can maximize our resources if we coordinate this a little bit better. Um, And so, you know, I'm not sure what developments have happened in Phoenix since then, because I would also say that prevention is a relative coordinating prevention services is is relatively new, a new concept. Um, But, uh, you know, typically if people need help with their rent, they'll either be like, oh, you know, what family member or what friend could I hit up um, that might lend me the money? Or they might think of what can I do to make some money quickly? Um, And sometimes it's not the most legal (laughs) thing to do, but at least they're not homeless. Right. Um, Sex work and lots of things. Are are there, I mean, when we talk about prevention or even just addressing homelessness as an acute issue, like, like somebody's homeless and like, it's a crisis right now. Like I would imagine that there's probably different levels. Like there's probably more global, you know, a bigger picture level of preventive services or services for whichever situation, whether it's preventing or crisis mode, but then also like at the smaller picture. I mean, I know we spent the last few minutes talking about just the individual person, but are there programs and maybe, you know, you don't need to speak specifically to Arizona. It seems to me that you have a broad uh, knowledge and experience and exposure because you've worked in so many different communities, but perhaps maybe you can touch on some national or like some bigger picture level of things that maybe all communities hopefully are doing or hope to do in regards to solving or maybe like helping with this homelessness situation? Yeah, I mean, the amount of investment that you'll see from the federal government and even at the state and local are really directed towards housing. Okay. Um, You know, prevention is an important piece of this, but 
if you look at the type of crisis someone's in, if they're not in a home um, or in a safe environment, they're in a much deeper, yeah. um, more dangerous situation than someone that maybe is still in a home, but mm -hmm. is having trouble paying the rent. Um, and so for communities, they're really thinking through how do we how do we address those that are homeless? Like, how do we get them um, into housing? How do we work with them so that we're able to, um, you know, when we identify them and can do our assessment, um, really connect them to housing as quickly as possible. And then give also, you know, help them identify or develop the tools that they need to be able to sustain their housing. Um, and so in order to do that, it requires that that communities really make a focused investment on housing. Um, in addition to partnering with um, service providers, and when I say service providers, it, I'm looking at health, I'm looking at mental health, social services, like how do, how do we focus those services to really help someone to um, to basically kind of rebuild their life. Like getting a um, job, you know, staying connected to yeah. like any, like taking care of their kids if they have kids or yeah, other social the services thing, like, that they skills. need. Like just be able to put food on the table. Like again, um, from a, yeah. Because it's multifactorial. Yeah. Homelessness is a multifactorial situation. Yeah, and everyone's situation is different. Yeah. I mean, the, if I were to look back at my entire career to say, what is that kind of one common thing that I see, you know, someone who has experienced homeless kind of that factor. Um, and the, the factor basically is, is they've at that point in their life, they lack some sort of support. Like if I were to find my, if I, if I were to lose my job, you know, I can, I could contact my sister um, to be like, Hey, could you help me out? you know, just for a month till I get it back on my feet. Some people don't have that. Some yeah. people like they either lost their parents um, or their family members, or they're too ashamed to approach them. But I think regardless of it, that that's, that's what I see is that being in a crisis is shameful. And that's to me yeah. really sad. And like you um, said, there's and, a lot of different ways people find themselves in this situation. Yeah, it, you know, there's so many different reasons why someone might find themselves in this situation. It's there's never one, re, you know, one main reason. <laughs> yeah, like abuse um, and domestic violence. I mean, a woman and her children may be fleeing from something. Well, there's also mental health too. I mean, a we lot had of a patient. Health, yeah. We had a patient that came in, and he came in with a friend that he'd been living with for the year, but we found out that his friend actually found him and noticed that he was living in a park for months and tried to, you know, be friends, like become friends. And they were both older single men and they ended up being friends. And the, you know, one friend helped the guy and he had a his history of mental health issues, schizophrenia, things like that. And um, he just ended up on the streets and was living in a park. And then someone noticed and started helping and gave him a place to live and helped him develop skills and found out that he loves drawing. And so now he, does drawings mm -hmm. but yeah I, I you know I knew someone that had a traumatic brain injury it wasn't a mental health issue mm. I've known uh individual that um was living in a vacant lot and the brother was taking his social security 
Yeah, like, you said that's pretty common. Yeah. When so, you were saying things like the longer people are in like experiencing homelessness, the harder it is to get them out of it. And I'm curious, I guess I'm that's interesting to me. I have an uncle who's is currently homeless. Like whenever I visit Michigan, I see him on off ramps because he hangs around right where like my mom and some of my aunts live. He has tons of family in the area. I mean, they grew up there. He's probably still got friends there. I think he has a totally different set of friends now. But I mean, he it seems to be that he's comfortable there, even though he's obviously uncomfortable to the rest of us. It's like he's chosen this path for for lack of a better way like I mean none of us get it because we don't choose any of that but like we see him all of the time and like it's like he gets excited you know he'll make he'll make money panhandling on the off ramps and he'll grab a hotel for a couple of nights and hang out there and you know there's some substance abuse involved and um but it's interesting to me the longer that somebody stays in that situation the harder it is to get them out of it is there what's behind that I mean, there's a variety of reasons, but for right now, and this is why I'm so focused on systems work, is because a lot of people do find themselves chronically homeless because the system or the services itself has closed the doors on them. Hmm. And, you know, and then I also am interested in the systems work because I believe that, you know, if we know the answer to ending homelessness is housing, why is it still taking months to connect a person from the time you identify them to housing? I mean, and I've seen in some cases months to a year, to a year, two years. And so, you know, I know that um, when you've heard no, many times or you've heard that you were the reason why you couldn't connect to the service that you start to think well i'm not really worth anything or i'm hopeless and then once you start to get that mindset then you know why try why try to get into housing or why try to get these services if someone just really judges you and thinks down on you and that's really not what the system needs to do. Um, and so, and that's what I found that, you know, in a lot of people that have been homeless for over a year or years, you know, it's, they've had those, those doors shut on them, or they've been, you know, judged so much that they don't even want to ask for help anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, and that really breaks my heart. Um, in the community and that's not I don't think that's the way any community should be yeah I imagine getting told no you flip into like a survival mode right like all right no one else is going to do anything for me I better learn how to live this way on my own and then if you especially if you're getting teased almost like answers like there's like little bits of things but then nothing ever comes False, through yeah I imagine through I imagine it would just be very um disheartening yeah discouraging yeah. I was think I was feeling discouraged just listening to this yeah <laughs> yeah the energy has gone way down <laughs> <laughs> well and you know but that's where communities like it, it's it's more than just having the resources and the money to do it and you know I've seen it uh from many different ways. I've seen communities with talented, passionate stakeholders and staff 
to communities that are well resourced. Um, but you know, I, I think the thing that I that helps to make community successful is brave and bold leadership amongst, you know, having a strategy that's really inclusive with the community and one that um, not only focuses on how many people you can connect to housing and to services, but how quickly you do that. Um, and I think, you know, those are important aspects as we look at systems change within our community. It's not just, you know, the outputs of it is, you know, what I call it, especially when I used to raise money, like, oh, this is how many people we serve, but how quickly did mm -hmm. we do it? It shouldn't take, you know, three months to a year to house someone. Everyone's housing ready. Um, you know, it's just making sure that we're able to get them in and then to wrap around the appropriate amount of support to help them so that they can, they can live, you know, they can live their lives. Do you think some of, do you think some of the challenges for why the it's a time, you know, an efficiency or time issue, like three months to a year to get people into housing. Like, is that what you mean when you say like, it's so interesting for you to be able to work in systems because there's things in that system that you could potentially improve to make that time frame from three to, you know, three months to a year, like low, like less, or are you thinking of other challenges that are explaining why that time frame is much longer than it needs to be? I like to start with that. Um, you know, I don't think there is, you're ever going to find a perfect system. I mm -hmm. think that you're always going to have to strive for, towards process improvement. But I would say, you know, as, um, as communities kind of look at the, their own system and really what needs to change, being able to get someone from the from the moment they've identified their crisis to whatever that solution is, should be one of the first things that you look at in terms of process improvement or improving things. Um, because we know the longer someone's on the street and not in a stable environment, their issues become worse and worse and worse. Um, you know, and that's why you also see, you know, issues with substances and addiction because that's just a response to coping mm -hmm. with your crisis. And so if you can help someone get into housing, into a more stable environment, get this, the appropriate amount of services wrapped into it, like those issues become less and less and less. There's studies out there that show if you even get someone that has mental health or um, substance um, use issues into housing, that the behaviors um, decrease tremendously. And this is without even offering treatment or any of that because their their head is in a much better place. They're a lot more stable. Stable and consistent um, environment. Yeah. And so, um, you know, a lot of people go, well, you need to do treatment first or you need to do, you know, the, the mental health aspect of, of of this and you know not necessarily like the hardest thing sometimes is just to get the person even in housing <laughs> and prioritizing right you're like the problem is they don't have a house let's put them in shelter and then then we can start doing the rest of the stuff yeah and to me that's where the human act like that's kind of the human aspect and kind of how it, that's where i had my aha moment 
because I was like, oh yeah, we need all these different services. But then when you think about it, if someone is experiencing homelessness and doesn't have a home, you can throw all those services at them, but it's not going to stick because they're still in a state of crisis. Exactly. And so, and you know, and that's why housing first is, is, you know, really huge. And I would, it, even though it's been around for a while, it's still something that people are trying to wrap their heads around. But to me, um, it makes a lot of sense because, um, you know, that that's what's going to, that's, that's the key to be able to really make an impact there and to really prioritize it appropriately. Yeah. It's like the human, like you said, the humanity aspect too. It's like with the backwards thinking about throwing other services at them before putting them in a house, it was like almost making them prove that they're worth it before you house them. Yeah. Yeah. That's really and it's, sad. To, yeah. Kind to, of like you said, like we're our, as a society, I think there's a lot of stigma and unworthiness already looking at people and shame like yeah Irene had mentioned shame yeah and I think making them have to prove themselves before you put them in a house which is the number one problem uh at least at the moment like if you take that away then the other things become mm -hmm. the top problem right so yeah easier think, to tackle yeah I means. like your mentality that approach that's like give them shelter and then we can do those things. yeah well it's Housing, because shelter, you know. Housing, sorry, yes, yes, sorry, housing. <laughs> um, but shelter is important too, you know, especially if you can't get someone into housing right away. Shelter provides the, the short-term um, safety that an individual needs. But, you know, I've also seen people stay in shelter for years. Oh. Um, and again, that's temporary. <laughs> really, it's to get people that are experiencing homelessness, whether they're on the street or in the shelter, to housing as quickly as possible. So what types of policy were you able to change in San Francisco? And is this something you're hoping to bring to Baltimore? Or that's kind of remains to be seen once you hit the ground in Baltimore? Tomorrow. So uh, in terms of, of policy, because I, you know, really the focus of the work that I did was around um, COVID response. Mm. Um, I, I helped um, the department create um, the strategy um, around, and this really is, is focused on winding down the shelter-in-place hotels and, and um, making sure that it intersects with um, coordinated entry, um, which is the regular process for San Francisco. Um, San Francisco um, uh, and the department I worked for was homelessness and supportive housing created a pandemic prioritization um, because we wanted to make sure that it aligned um, very closely to the system that was already in place. Um, but to make sure that because these shelters were set up um, in, a, in a public health crisis that we respond appropriately um, to that as well. Um, and so we've done a lot of work uh, working uh, with the Department of Public Health to make sure that individuals that um, that were in the shelter-in-place hotel that we were able to um, make sure that they had a medical vulnerability and really work in data sharing with that um, to create uh, an outflow to the appropriate housing intervention um, for those individuals. So we didn't we did assessments on them. We've you know, um, are working with them, making sure we're collecting the right documentation so that we can 
um, as the hotels start to wind down that we're able to connect them to housing. Um, and so that's uh, a majority of the work that I did in my time in San Francisco. Um, and I would say that that experience I'm definitely um, uh, going to bring to Baltimore and I think will um, hopefully be um, helpful. Um, they set up five shelter in place hotels or hotels. Um, and I think part of it is um, and, and all communities are gonna face this too. How do you go from, okay, this is the response to COVID to what the system needs to look like post COVID and then what is that gonna look like longer term? And um, there's a lot of opportunity because there's um, the president really has reinforced um, uh, focusing on housing um, and affordable housing um, and housing as infrastructure. Um, and so, um, you know, these are opportunities that systems and communities don't see very often um, and the level of investment in it. And so, you know, I know for Baltimore, we wanna be well prepared and make and maximize the use of the resources we're gonna get. Um, and I would say that that's the shared sentiment that all communities are gonna be looking at um, over the course of the year. Wow. That's pretty incredible stuff. It's going to take a lot of coordination too, but I really love that there's a comprehensive approach to it, right? It's not just a crisis. You're thinking long-term and everyone realizes how important it is to, to look at what we need to do now, but how is it going to affect or what things do we need to do afterwards and for the long-term? And knowing that what we do now is going to affect the long term as well. We can't just focus on whatever it takes to take care of it now, not even taking into regard how it's going to affect downstream. Yeah, one of my favorite phrases makes me think of from surviving to thriving. Like we've taken care of the urgent need. Now we need to make sure this person doesn't experience this again. It's like I imagine the recidivism rate is something that ever, that your team and your departments look at too. You're like, our goal is to keep you off of the streets. Yeah, we don't want people to, you know, come back through the system. And so that's why it's important to, you know, work to help that person and to do it, um, to be effective the first time. I, you know, the reality is some people might have to come through, but that shouldn't change how we do things. Like, again, it's responding as quickly as possible and, and creating a solution quickly. Um, so hopefully, you know, this next time it sticks. Um, but you just, to have people kind of live through homelessness and to say, okay, as a community, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, it really isn't, it isn't good for the community and it's not good for the residents either. Um, and so that's why the system work is um, so important. Outside of the system work, is there something people can do as a community? Like, is there something everyday people can do to sort of pitch in, help? Like, is there something people should be doing? I mean, in Phoenix, you see people drive around with cases of water and will hand out water to, you know, people living on the streets. And But I mean, is there something more we can do to be impactful as everyday citizens who aren't experiencing housing crisis? Or in a position where they could do policy work or, you know, direct right. work. Yeah, I mean, you definitely could get involved with your your local continuum of care. Um, 
that's where a lot of the system work is happening, but the system work doesn't happen without, you know, nonprofit and government partners. Um, so you can definitely continue to work um, with nonprofit providers, but I would urge um, your listeners to look beyond just the emergency services of this. There are housing providers in your community um, that um, would, you know, love for you to join the board or would love for you to, you know, um, work with some of the programming that they have um, on their, um, in their housing units or potentially to help someone identify housing. Um, so there's different ways to help other than passing out water or passing out a sandwich. Um, and I would say those kind of volunteer opportunities are equally or even more important. Um, than that. Um, because housing, like I said, is, is that solution. And I think a lot of it is spent on kind of the, the outreach and the emergency services, which are very important as well. Um, but, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that we all play a role in, in this system. Um, my role might be different from your role, but there is always a role and there's no shortage of roles in it. And it's just finding where, you know, um, uh, I guess kind of where your your heart lies in 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 where it is within that within the continuum. Yeah, I think it's important to remember that these are people. These are humans. These are these are your brothers and sisters. It, you know, and their experience here is just as worthy as yours. And I think it's it's enlightening for people to be able to know that they can go out and do these things like join boards and reach out to the continuum and find out where these volunteer opportunities bring are. more ideas to the yeah table. i mean i wouldn't have thought of that i just wouldn't have on my own and that's part of us having this conversation is to um sort of just bring it to more people's ears and get people understanding how they can help if they're looking for some other way to help so. Yeah, I mean, and affordable housing, and this is, you know, the work in homeless services can't happen without our partners on the housing side. Mm -hmm. These are developers, these are housing providers, you know, that whole kind of stuff. People don't think about that part of it, but that's for profit. <laughs> so mm -hmm. whole other section, like, and they have a huge and important role um, in this as well. Um, and so to end homelessness really, truly does take a community and, and for each of us to play a part. So that's probably why I like it. I, I come back to it and like it. And, you know, and I, I, I firmly believe this is doable for communities. We just have to stay focused and remain strategic. That's awesome. Thank you so much for yeah. enlightening us and sharing with us and uh, the people listening how they can get involved, what this, what this involves, that it's not, uh, you know, it, it could be you, it could be someone close to you. I think we've all talked about someone we've known ex who has or is experiencing homelessness or housing crisis. So it's, it's closer to you than you think. And I, I think if there's some way that you're feeling compelled to give back and reach out and be a part of it, then know that you can, and you can do so in small ways or big ways. You can do so, um, pretty easily by reaching out to your local government. Thank you so much, Irene. It was such a great conversation. And thank, thank you, you for sharing your knowledge and expertise with us. Thank you. I appreciate, uh, thank you for the invite. And 
Hopefully I wasn't too confusing, but yeah. Oh, no, no, not at all. It was so enlightening. I learned so much and and I hope our listeners learn a lot too, because part of this is, you know, it's um, opening your horizons and understanding things that maybe you don't even, you know, you don't know what you don't know, right? So you've definitely provided a lot of great information and insight into the homelessness situation, right? I'm sure we've all seen people who are homeless and we see them on the streets, but some, sometimes, you, you know, it's just nice to get a different perspective and kind of see what's happening out there. And, and like Mandy said, like ways that we can yeah, contribute and, you know, ways that we can fit into the puzzle, be a part of the solution. I would say if anyone, you know, and this could be an up and coming student or anyone like more communities need system thinkers and process people. Um, you know, a, a lot of people think, oh, you know, they're boring or whatever. <laughs> But it's really the strategy and the coordination that plays a huge role in this and being able to see all the pieces of it. And I would say that if there's potentially a social worker or a planner or anyone like um, homeless services is a is definitely a, a good field um, to go into because we need more of that skill set. And it's such um, a broad group of people working together. Mm-hmm. Yes. So that, that's my plug for anyone. <laughs> they don't know what they want to do in life. <laughs> Here's your opportunity. Um, yes. Uh, this, awesome. is a good, this is a good sector, you know, to go into, especially if you're a macro thinker, mm-hmm. um, you know, and you get, the, you get to work with a broad range of, um, of stakeholders and individuals and organizations. So, um, you know, if you like doing that kind of thing, I would, you know, look into it so having known you for so long i'm always i'm wildly impressed with the work that you do um i've probably never i don't know i've maybe said uh, alluded to it before but i've always been wildly impressed by the work that you do and the the impact that you have and the outreach and just like i've seen irene on the news and in every big city all these big markets that she's been a part of like she's on the news she's talking about these things she's working with local government officials and federal things and just I'm, I'm just wildly impressed by it. And, um, it's, uh, such a, I don't know. I just feel very humbled to know you, um, and be able to experience you and have you here with us today. Well, thank you. Well, that was a really fun conversation. I really like it because, uh, I volunteered at a lot of different nonprofits that involve homelessness. And so it was really cool to kind of hear her, her take and her experience, her, especially like she said like 10 plus years of working in, in this specific arena in terms of social work. So that was really cool. I really enjoyed. I really enjoyed her telling us a little bit about all the different programs that she's worked with in so many different geographical places. Yeah, all the different like capacities and just pieces of the mm-hmm. puzzle that she's worked in and how she kind of had her little aha moment and decided that policy and putting people into houses yeah. into housing is where it's yeah. at first step yeah. just get them into a secure safe stable consistent home yeah if if you see like oh here's where we're missing yeah. the mark yeah that's so great. i hope if anything resonates with our listeners that is it yeah take home message homelessness step one, step one just Get someone into, you know, of course, the, the other thing is like that they want to be in a home, right? You can't expect that people want the same things we want. But right. on a global s- level, a global level, um, if you want to solve homelessness, first step, get them into housing. Yeah, that was very inspiring. Yeah. Cool. I yeah. love her. 
Yeah, she was really sweet to, to, to talk with, and, and I really love her energy, and I'm excited to see all the great things that she's going to do in Baltimore. So Me too. Baltimore is lucky to have her. Go Baltimore. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you know, we forgot to ask her how our listeners can get a hold of her, so we will let you guys know in our descriptor yeah, how to get a hold of Irene. She's not like a business. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll, we'll figure that out, and we'll, um, we'll put some resources in our descriptor. Yeah. And how you know that is by finding us and how can our listeners find us so they can find information about Irene? You can find us so many ways, literally. Um, We are all over the interwebs. So wherever you're listening to this podcast, be sure you subscribe because you can find us on any platform. Um, But you can find us on Instagram at The Main Dish Podcast. You can find us on Facebook at The Main Dish Pod. And you can also find us on LinkedIn if you're a business um, potential guest or someone who wants to sponsor or run an ad on the show. Hit us up on LinkedIn. Yep, yep. And we also have a website we don't really talk about it but we do have a website the main dish podcast.com so feel free to head over to our website and check us out our episodes are also loaded on that website along with uh, more information about us but we're most active on instagram so i would say if you want us uh you want to interact with us hit us up on instagram we would love to hear more about your thoughts any comments you have and uh you know hit us up We hope you had a great time with us this week because we sure had a great time with you and our guest. um, And so until next week. Love you. Love you too.